Welcome to Inside the 18, live from Camp Shutout once more. This is literally the Camp Shutout collection that we've been doing uh, this entire week. We've been doing podcasts with some incredible coaches uh, at Camp Shutout. Uh, we've been doing it with legendary goalkeepers like John Bush, but we've really saved the best for last. And uh, by that, I mean we've got uh, Doug Cardozi, who's now over as the director of goalkeeping over at Royal Oak in Michigan, uh, former ODP staff. Uh, over at Region 2, uh, obviously founded the Paws Goalkeeper Academy, and you've sent, I think, over 17 million goalkeepers to different colleges. Uh, and because we're going to be talking a lot about colleges, we figured, you know what? What we probably need is a head coach in college to be here as well. Otherwise, it's just us basically complaining about the college system. Uh, so we got Sean Phillips also here at Camp Shut Up, but he's also the head coach at UIC, University of Illinois, Chicago. Guys, thanks first off for being on Inside the 18. Uh, I know everybody else is eating pizza, and you guys have to be in a room with us with Christmas lights, apparently, that we're using for lighting. So uh, I'm glad you guys are willing to make that sacrifice for us. Of course. Yeah, yeah. Already off to a hot start. I love it. <laughs> it was fantastic. Uh, before we get started, guys, thanks again for everybody who's been subscribing, reviewing, rating the show. It's absolutely phenomenal. Uh, we've been getting people even here at camp who've been going online and subscribing and reviewing. And uh, even some of the kids' reviews are actually polite, which is a really nice start for them to go with. Uh, but honestly, guys, if you want to f- keep seeing content like this happening, you need to go on there. You need to subscribe. You need to rate review because that's how we move up the iTunes charts. The more people that know who we are, the more famous we become, the greater content we can give you guys. You know? um, before we get going, uh, I do want to say that we do love doing listener questions. And because we guys have you guys here, this kind of fits into the topic that we're working on today. And uh, this comes from a guy named Ken Clark. And Ken Clark asks... U.S. soccer could use a goalkeeper curriculum. Uh, that's a very much an accurate statement right there. And a strategy to help cultivate the next generation of athletes. If you guys were given the keys to build this program, where would you start? And what does the American goalkeeper of the future need? Who did you, wants did to you write that question? Or somebody... No, it doesn't sound eloquent, though. It sounds <laughs> definitely not like something I would write. That was very well written. I'd be like, yo, how do you make goalkeepers good? <laughs> yeah, be solid. Hey, we could have re- we could have uh, read one of the reviews instead. I mean, this is a little bit more articulate. We set the floor. You yeah. guys, any? Yeah. This is your moment to guys to just either bash U.S. soccer or praise U.S. soccer, <laughs> whichever direction you want to go. No, I've had this conversation actually within the last couple of weeks with uh, a few goalkeeper friends of mine, and even here at camp this week, uh, and I do believe that if you look at the goalkeepers of the past, the days where we had the Friedels and the Kellers, uh, which is even the time where Bushy was playing uh, goalkeeper at that time, uh, we were really deep. You had Joe Cannon in there as well. Hartman was playing. In other words, we were really deep as goalkeepers in Miola before that. And that has started to shift here in America where we're not really producing the goalkeepers we did in the past. A couple things that I'm seeing that are going on is we're starting to, as goalkeeper coaches, we're going across the pond and we're going to, I know there's a goalkeeper convention in Holland that we keep going to. There's another one over in England that we keep going to, but we keep going across the pond to learn from what they're doing. And yet, when you look back in the day, I thought we were producing the best goalkeepers. So why are they not coming here? And so I, I and I think because we're starting to go across there, we're starting to change the way that we coach goalkeepers and we're starting to coach goalkeepers in their way and not how we are as Americans. And I think personally for me, I think we need to get it back to what we were uh, as goalkeepers back in the day. You looked at them and they were people who caught a ball consistently. 
And I know the game's changed. It's got faster. The ball's gotten uh, moves more. But I still think we can hold a ball more. But you know, when you watch European games and high-level games, it's a lot of pairing. And yet you look back at the Kellers and the Friedels and the Violas, I thought they caught a lot of soccer balls. And that's something that we had taught. And you had Bushy on, and he's somebody that's a huge proponent of, of catching the ball. So I think we need to get back to what we were as Americans and teaching kind of a more of an American style versus what they are going across the pond you know you brought up a great point before we get to sean here and that is that i think there's a very much of a stigma in the united states that we feel like we're not good enough we're not good enough from a soccer iq standpoint from a football iq standpoint for, for lack of a better term and so that we need to go somewhere else in order to learn what it's like to be a solid football coach soccer coach um, and understand positions but you're right goalkeeping has been something it's kind of been our bread and butter and we've kind of always for lack of a better term you've been kind of uh, ahead of the curve when it comes to goalkeeper coaching uh I, i've talked to a lot of people who said you know they would come to the united states and they'd say you know they're focusing on the position a much more than they were in the european game um and it's only been so recently with the modern game that you know goalkeepers are becoming more more active you know in, in the european game as becoming also field players but also the athletes that they're getting who are actually playing in goal for a long time they wouldn't get those type of athletes they would prefer to play on the field so uh sean is there anything you want to add or well i think doug's doug's made a bunch of excellent points um i think a couple things are happening one i think over in europe they started to see what we were doing and they in a certain sense caught up to us and now what we need to do, as Doug was talking about, is we need to separate ourselves again. And we need to get back to doing what we were doing. Uh, I think the second thing is, just like with every national team program, there may have just been an ebb and a flow. And we had so many good ones at one time. I think we are going through a bit of a dry spell. And, and I do believe that whether it's a, a goalkeeper or a field player, there are just ebbs and flows to it. I think when you start to look at some of our younger goalkeepers, starting with a Zach Steffen, we're starting to build a little bit more of a base again. And some of them are not as well known because they're already over in Europe. Europe is coming in and taking our goalkeepers at a much younger age. Yeah. Um, and the place where I do think Europe may be in front of us a little bit, and this is just part of my own philosophy on goalkeeping, is goalkeepers need to be seen as soccer players first soccer players who can use their hands inside that penalty box and that's the way the back pass rule has made the game and if you look at that that's where europe at the base of that definition europe is ahead of us because they have better soccer players and what we've got to do in our country is find that right way to take what we were very good at when Miola, multi-sport athlete, Brad Friedel, I think, lettered in four different sports in high school and was going to be at UCLA for a number of sports as well. Where can we find those athletes and make them soccer players, that multi-sport athlete, and find that right balance? Because if Friedel and Miola didn't play the multiple sports, they're not as successful, I believe, in the goal. And I know that's a bit of a bigger tug-of-war question that we're having in all of youth sports right now, but when we go back to the goalkeeping, the goalkeeper position is much more a soccer player now. We have to continue to develop that and then take what we were doing very well, like Doug mentioned, and apply that all together. Yeah. And what's the right recipe? I don't know. And that's where you talked about bashing U.S. soccer, complimenting them. There's going to be something right there in between. And that's where we all got to get together and humbly discuss what we've done right and what we've done wrong and how we can build that goalkeeping pool again back to where 
you had three American goalkeepers playing in the EPL at one time. But why is there no, I mean, and obviously I'm going on a little tangent here, but why is there no goalkeeper curriculum right now for U.S. soccer? They've got the pro license that they just started. You know, obviously MLS is trying to do this this uh, partnership with the DFB, sending academy coaches over there. Back in the day, not that long ago, you know, I took my U.S. Federation, you know, goalkeeping license, but that doesn't exist anymore for the youth coach. You know, why why does U.S. soccer feel that this is something that they don't need to put their energy into? I really don't know. Um, I know I've done all the NSCA courses or now the United Soccer Coaches courses. But you want to get invited back to that convention, <laughs> right? <You know. laughs> uh, but I've done all those and all the way up through um, my advanced national. And that was, you know, trying to teach to be a goalkeeper. And as you said, the, the U.S. soccer one, it was there for a little while and kind of gone away. And they're looking at doing something else. Um, I, I don't know that they have anybody that's at the head that's ready to do it. I know Peter Meller for a long time was the head kind of goalkeeper coach for our U.S. national teams, but I don't know how much he's doing anymore. And it doesn't seem like they've passed those reins off to anybody yeah. at this point. Um, and why they don't want to do it or why they don't want to have it, I really don't know. I, I'm not part of U.S. soccer, so I yeah. don't really have an answer for yeah. you on that. Yeah. But no, I liked it. But I like getting that 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 you know that point of view from an I don't want to say an outsider, but somebody that's not in the federation system, uh, because a lot of times you know you're going to get a, le a less of a biased you know opinion or point of view about what what's going on in the federation. So you know, I mean, Sean, you know, you deal with a lot of high level athletes, you know, playing at the division one level, you know. Um, what, what do you see? Do you see that this is something that with the, the athletes that you're getting coming in and the athletes that you're producing and bringing into the colleges, you know, do you feel that there's something missing there that if there's youth coaches out there that could get that education that they're not getting would help your case? Um, what I'm seeing at the Division One men's college side is I see a lot of shot stoppers right now, and I'm not seeing that next level of development which I always go back to, I'm not seeing enough of a soccer player in the goalkeepers that I'm getting. Now, I've been pretty fortunate, the ones I've had at UIC, because I know the coaches they're seeing, I'm going that way. So I'm getting, I'm getting a lot of what I want. But when I look at what other colleges are dealing with on the whole, I'm not talking about the Blue Bloods or maybe the program I'm in charge of, but I'm not seeing soccer players. I'm seeing a lot of shot stoppers. And if the demands in the game are asking for that, I would ask that the goalkeepers or the goalkeeper coaches at the youth level find a way in their environment, whether that's demanding that the club coach that is training the kid is making that kid play 5v2 every session, or it's they're not missing any team sessions and then the goalkeeper session is something separate or finding the right combination because again i i understand there, there's a reality and there's a practicality to how every club's set up a little bit different but those youth goalkeeper coaches have got to find a way to make sure that the goalkeepers are soccer players first and then find a way to complement it especially at the younger ages because a lot of what we teach can be taught as they get older but the basis of the soccer technique with the ball at their feet if they understand that, then they understand the game. And the, the, next, the next thing we always talk about, goalkeepers are dictating tempo. Well, you can't dictate the tempo if you can't pass the ball. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, I, I think- saw Omar just chomping <laughs> at the bit. He was just like, he was like, oh, I can't wait until Sean's done because I got something to add to this. No, I think Sean, you made a really good point. I think that's something that I struggle with as well as a coach is that the lack of patience, and I feel like that's kind of what happens with uh, coaches who don't want to send their kids to be in their in their group of, of play sometimes because the goalkeeper might mess it up because they're not accustomed to playing with their feet. And when you don't have the patience that uh, you, you would need to ha- let them kind of figure it all out and build that like you know uh, field player acumen. In three or four years, like you said, you can teach it then, but you have to build the foundation at a young age. And like I was telling Mike earlier is that uh, my goalkeeper coach would force us every single time to distribute the ball. When we did crosses, I think you said it, one of you guys said it last night, like uh, one ball that I hit is one less ball that my goalkeeper will hit. And then every, every corner kick or every uh, shot from the 18, we'd have to hit that every single time. And the first probably six months were very difficult because we, we didn't know how to hit a ball. And then eventually we became really good at it. And of course, you know, there's no surprise there, but it's just that patience and that kind of understanding from the coach, like, okay, it's gonna be ugly a little bit. I'm gonna check my ego out the door. I don't care if my session looks like crap. But in a few months, my goalkeeper is going to look amazing. And I think that's where maybe U.S. soccer might not, might not, might not understand that. And they kind of want that, like, you know, the microwave kind of a, a idea where they want things to happen super fast versus kind of going back to the old ways where we kind of were patient with things in the process, um, let it play out a little bit more. Yeah, yeah you know, uh, I, I like one of the things that Sean was saying in regards to the tempo. You know, the goalkeeper sets the tempo. I, I think a lot of young goalkeepers need to understand that. And in regards to we were talking about distribution – and hitting a ball is I feel that the art of understanding when to play short, when to play long is being lost because so many coaches out there are forcing their goalkeepers to play balls into traffic in, in, in a pressing situation that, that are the risk versus the reward. Yeah. It's, it's just not, for me personally, it's just not high enough. Berhalter is, I mean, like really the advocate right now. And then you see Zach Steffen, like you, we text a lot during games. And you're like, do you see what happened against Venezuela? Again, Zach Steffen made a mistake. And it's just, a, you know, pressing the issue and forcing the issue. And unfortunately, I don't know if that's his strength as a goalkeeper, but, you know, you're, you're pushed into certain systems that unfortunately you can't just plug in certain guys who don't really have that as a foundation. So Well, the whole change, Ederson from... Heart was because they yep. wanted a goalkeeper that could play with his feet. So they changed somebody who's number one in the national team in England and got rid of him off their club team because they wanted to play a certain way. And to uh, Sean's point, it is. It's you know, the shot stopper versus goalkeeper is something that I talk a lot about um, and, and with the goalkeepers that I train. And that is a true definition in there. And you can look at one kid and go, no, you're not a goalkeeper. You put on the shirt and you wear the gloves but you're just a shot stopper right now. And being yeah. a goalkeeper is somebody that manages the game and somebody who can distribute the ball, knows when to go short, when to go long. And that's more of what we need to develop as a goalkeeper, uh, especially as a youth coach. Somebody, I'm somebody that works in the clubs, and I do have those that daily grind of how am I going to educate my goalkeepers to become goalkeepers and get it, and develop out of the shot stopper mentality where they just need to keep the ball out of the net. Um, I know things that I do is, is we do use our feet in every single session, and that's the start of everything we do. Um, I play a little game uh, with their feet every single session that we start. Then we go into ladders. They're serving the ball, yeah. making sure they're getting that repetition of striking the ball. Um, and then we'll get into maybe some stuff with the hands, but we're always always letting them serve, and I'm always forcing them to have to make decisions because we got to develop them as goalkeepers, as soccer players, not just put a ball at the top of the 18, put the goalkeeper in there and go stop the ball. So let, let's talk a little bit about that. I want to move into the youth game right now and transition into the whole idea of college recruiting. You know, uh, We've been talking about you find shot stoppers. That's what you, 
get sent to you basically mm-hmm. all the time, you know, and it's your job as a youth coach, you know, to, to develop goalkeepers that are ready for the collegiate level. So let, let's talk a little bit about in regards to the college recruiting process in general for, for those out there, maybe parents out there who are listening or kids out there who aren't familiar with the college recruiting processes. What does that kind of encompass kind of in a nutshell? I, I will, I will start off by saying this. Um, a lot of people really go after the NCA on some of their legislation. And I think to be fair, the last bits of legislation regarding recruiting have actually been, been good. So the one piece of advice I give everyone right now is you have to stay up to date because the amount of changes in the legislation regarding the recruiting process in the last 18 months has been dramatic. And as we go through this, that's the, my one over, that's what I tell everybody, keep checking. It, it'll change every six months. I think the overhaul of allowing official visits to start the junior year and the senior year and absolutely no official visits before the start of the junior year. I mean, if a kid walks, in, walks up and knocks on my door and they're a sophomore, I have to say thank you for stopping by, but I'm not allowed to talk to you or your club coach about anything club coach, but essentially being the third party that used to extend the offer to get the kid on the campus for the unofficial visit as a freshman or a sophomore, and then lock the kid up with a verbal that early. A lot of that is working its way out the door and it's evolving. We've changed the dates from June 15th to August 15th before that junior year on a couple of different things. So my, again, my advice is keep checking the legislation, go to your youth coach, your youth coach should be staying on, staying up to date on this. If you go to a college ID camp, or if you go to a recruiting panel and listen, pay attention as these rules change a little bit. I think for the most part, they are for the benefit of the student athlete right now. So let's talk about the youth coach's role here. Uh, Doug, you've, like we said, you know, you've, and obviously, you know, we were, you know, we were joking around earlier and stuff like that, but you've sent a lot of kids to college. And, and we were talking off camera and we were talking about the fact that that isn't necessarily the norm with a lot of youth coaches out there. Uh, a lot of youth coaches out there, they don't, uh, they don't know how to, to help their kids get to the next level. You know, they know how to train them and they know how to, you know, motivate them. But that in regards to like, What's, what's the right school, you know, and making the right connections and all sorts of stuff. So do you feel it's the youth coach's job if the, co- if the goalkeeper reaches out to you for assistance? Is it your responsibility to help them as best you can? For me personally, absolutely. Uh, if I, one of the things my job as a youth coach is to develop. It's not about soccer. It's trying to develop good humans. Um, the things that I teach them within the game and things that they're going to use after the game. Uh, and that's part of that's the education and getting them into college and hopefully playing when they get there. So the things that I talk to them about is, is all encompassing in that regard. Um, I believe if the kid's going to come to me and ask, I'm going to put the time and effort in as long as I see the kid putting the time and effort in. Uh, a kid goes, yeah, I want to go to college. Actually, my first question back to him is, have you ever seen a college game? And you would be shocked of how many kids go, well, no. So how do you know you want to go play college? Uh, and I tell them, that's one of the first things I say, go see a game. Go see a Division three, three game. Go see a Division two game. Go see a Division one game. Because they're all different. And figure out where you are, where you think you are as a player, and where do you think you might fit in. Because uh, you can go watch UIC 
for any of you know my kids that I'm coming from the Chicagoland area can go watch a UIC game any weekend they want to. Um, they can go see a Northwestern, they can go see a Loyola. And we have even Lewis, which was a Division II school in the Chicago area, and we have a bunch of Division III schools. So they had that opportunity to go see that to find out, you know, can I go play college? Do I believe I can go play college? But to me, that's the first thing any of these kids that want to go play college soccer, you better have seen the game and not on TV, not on the Big Ten Network, go actually see it live because as you guys know any game you've been to live is a completely different game Speed of play is completely different. what you see on tv yeah. so and you know my favorite thing about that is that you're saying about going to see the college games because i i'll get this situation i've got the gotten this as ed being a youth you know coach a lot of times where a kid will be like oh psh, dude that college level college level's weak man d3 that level's weak and then the next week they're like hey man i was wondering if you could help me blah 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 i'm like you just said that level's weak what are you talking about mm -hmm. you said that's weak and now you want my help for whatever so like respect have respect for the level that you want to play at because you know i'm I, how can i vouch for you going out to a school when i just heard you just bashing that school and now you're just doing it because you think you want to play college soccer well, once I get the kids and find out that they're interested, my next piece for me is educating them yeah. and educating them in the idea of, you know, all they see is what they see on TV and what everybody talks about. And that is typically talking about the Division One game. And they don't necessarily understand that a Division Three school and the top Division Three schools in the country can stand with everybody maybe outside of the top 20 at Division One and beat them. You take a, a school like a Messiah at the Division Three level, and if anybody's ever seen them play, they're really good. And so they go, oh, well, it's only Division Three. No, there are schools in the Division Three that can still play the game. So uh, depending on what they want, and the next thing I ask them is, is what do they want out of it? Because if you're going to go play for Sean, he's probably going to carry somewhere around two, three, four goalkeepers. Mm -hmm. But how many goalkeepers play in a game? Just one. Yeah. Yep. So I need to figure out how many years do I maybe want to play. If you go to play Division One, typically you're looking at possibly playing two years. Typically you sit for two years. That's kind of the norm. And so, but are you okay just going to be a part of a program? Do you want to play for four years? Well, maybe now I need to start looking at the Division Three or Division Two level because that's where I may have a better chance to be able to go to and actually play four years. Do I want to be part of a big program, a small program? Do I want to build a program? Maybe it's a brand new program. I know SIU women. Uh, just uh, start have a brand new program. So is that something that I want to be part of how that gets built? And UIC women's is only four, what, years. four years old. So is that something I want to be a part of? So it's really kind of educating them and, and finding out what they think they may want and then educating them in kind of how, what it really is like because they just, they don't know and they don't know what they don't know. You know, you've heard that before. And, yeah. and so my, my first part of my job is really kind of educate them on what they're kind of looking at and what's ahead of them. Yeah, like Omar, you know, yeah. you're you're coaching at a Division II school right now. Yeah. You know, it's a very good level Division II school. Very it's good. Still a Division II school. How many of those kids there, uh, you know, felt they should be at a Division One school because they feel like there's something inferior about being at that D2? Uh, a lot of them do, but we get we recruit heavily from Europe. Uh, we get a lot of kids from Germany, from Scandinavia, countries over there. So we get a lot of kids over there. So for them, they, they love living in Los Angeles. That's the beauty of being in Cal State LA. Uh, but it's very competitive. And, and these guys, you know, they 
leave the ego at the door and they want to win a national championship. So when I when I got to uh, Cal State LA, obviously our coach is very, very experienced. And right from the get-go, he's like, okay, guys, you know, make sure you guys are, are free for these NCAA days. And I said, well, you know, at Davis, we never really made many runs. So I always said, okay, probably season's probably going to be over mid-November. <laughs> and then you start, you know, changing your mindset. You have a mentality of we're probably going to try and win a national title here. And then you have these kids who all buy in. And like you said, it's all about, you know, uh, you actually you said a point that I was about to say is that there's some kids out there who are just happy to go to a big school and sit on the bench for four years because they want to like, wear the jersey. Exactly, and it's it's like, hey, yeah. I'm I'm yeah. I can be on I can be on varsity as the number two, or I can stay on on JV and be the starter. But I'd rather be on varsity as the number two because I want to tell people I'll play on varsity. And it isn't it's an ego thing, like you said. You have to ask those questions like why, why, why to the young kids who may not have that direction or that wherewithal to understand. Hey, I should probably ask these questions before I go to these places because I actually went to Davis. I didn't even know that there was like. I knew what the goalkeeping competition was, but I thought, you know, it was a rite of passage. You wait a year, you redshirt, and then from there you get the opportunity. And I'm sure, Sean, you've had to kind of be a realist with your players. Like, look, I'm recruiting you as the number two, and maybe you have a chance to, to fight for the number one. But, I mean, do you, are you that like, upfront with your goalkeepers when you have the recruiting process? I feel you have to be. Um, you know, we, we have a returning, our number two from last year returned. He's penciled in as the number one. He'll obviously have to earn it come August. But I've got three new kids coming in, and hey, you're one of three coming in. Oh, they kind of look at me. One's going to be a one's going to be a junior eligible, and two freshmen. And if you don't have that conversation up front with them, and all of a sudden everybody shows up in August, they're all scratching their head. They're going, "Wait a minute! I th thought I was being recruited to be the number two. Yeah. I thought I was being recruited to be the number two. I thought I was, and then all of a sudden, what?" has to be to use the popular term a goalkeeper union among those four that I carry starts off in a negative mm. connotation and that then go down the road could be negative for the team as well as well as, culture, the, yeah. as well as the individual development of each of those four goalkeepers so I feel you have to be upfront with it um, and from my time, I believe, from when I started Indiana in the fall of 2000, I've only had three freshmen, through true freshmen play. Wow. As true freshmen. And um, two of those three went on and, and became pros. Putna is one of them? Putna is one. Yeah. Um, and another one is uh, Jovan. He ended up being a two-time All-American. Wow. So those were those were two. Yeah. Um, and that's that's how unique of a scenario it is, and that that covers almost twenty years. Yeah. And and I think that's that's about par, you know, coming in, and you don't ever want to ha have a coach tell you this is the plan, and and get the feeling that that no the coach isn't error. willing yeah. to deviate. <laughs> yeah. Um, but even Andrew Putnam was told on his way in, hey, we have a fifth year senior returning who's got sixty games on you. If you're not the best, you're not going to start. And that conversation was up front in the recruiting process. He came in, and that fifth-year senior picked up an injury at the start of preseason. Andrew proved himself to be the best of the remaining. He got the start and, and ran with it. And that was a combination of him being ready when the opportunity presented itself. Absolutely. And then the fifth-year senior, because everything was on the uh, above board, he goes – Coach, he's playing well right now. We've won 10 in a row. I, I don't expect I, it would be poor form of you to, to make that change. Yeah. And, and that's what we ran with. So that I believe that that conversation always happening at the start sets that table 
to manage it. It's never necessarily easy, but if you don't have that, that initial conversation, when you do get into those rough spots, your, your chance for success is minimalized. And I think, I think how the goalkeepers handle it, it comes down to how Doug, you know, like you said, you raise the kids and you kind of prepare them for the next level. Have you ever had to have a kid, you kind of had to not knock them down a notch, but I'm sure you, have, you get goalkeepers who have all these, you know, certain egos and the number one for their team and stuff like that. So any advice for the young kids out there that maybe, maybe struggling with that or any coaches that have goalkeepers that are struggling with that? Uh, being honest with them. And that's, you know, to that point, that's a conversation you have to have uh, with them once again, going to college. Yes, you're the number one in your club team. Yes, you're the number one on the varsity team. And you're better than the other three that are there. But you're about to go to this school, and you're going to be one of four goalkeepers. And two of the goalkeepers have already been there. Well, you're going to have to learn to be a good teammate, possibly. And that is something that they're not used to. But a conversation I have with them, and upfront and honest with them, that, you know, go in, fight, and understand that when – when you go to college, you're part of a team. You're part of a university. You're part of a school, and that's what you're fighting for. Yes, you want to be the best goalkeeper, and yes, you want to play, but you got to realize fight, battle, scrape, claw in training, and that pushes every other goalkeeper there. And at come Saturday or Sunday, whenever you play, their coach trusts in him that they're going to put the best goalkeeper in, and you've done – if that's you, great, go in there, perform. If it's not, you be the biggest cheerleader for that other goalkeeper because at the end of the day, he's still playing for the team that you're playing for. He's yeah. playing for the school that you're playing for. And that's a conversation I have with every single kid that I'm sending off to college. And you can kind of see them where they start to go, oh, I guess I never really kind of thought about it that way. But And, and they do. They get it. And that's where you start to get that goalkeeper union. And that's where that camaraderie comes in. And now you're part of a team because everybody's just – Everybody wants to win. That's what college soccer is, and that's what soccer is. So as long as you know your role, you know your place going in, and you're honest and upfront with them, and you go in and I'm going to push you. You're the number one. I'm the number two. I need to push you every day. That way you get better. Yeah. If I don't push and, and for me to get better and you don't get better, we don't get better as a team. So you, you just having those conversations with the kids, being honest with them, absolutely I do. So what – Sean, you, you, you deal obviously in the recruiting process, you, you, know, you deal with the, the players directly a lot, but obviously you're dealing with parents a lot. And you're dealing with parents because in regards to, you know, working at a private goalkeeping clinic, you know, they're a lot of times they look at you as like an employee because they're, you know, paying for the session, that type of a thing. So like, you know, they, I've had this situation before where I've had parents basically feel like, you know, that they expect me to do certain things based on the fact that, like, their kid trains with me type of a thing rather than what's right for the kid type of a thing. You know, reach out to this coach, do this, or blah, 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 and I'm like, that's not the right place for them, that sort of thing. So what advice do you give to parents out there that these mistakes that you guys see over and over again that if they just listen could really, really help their kids out in the long run? I know, yeah, I know. That, that could be a four-hour episode. But no, it, it, that's, that's a tough question. Yeah. And the first thing that we as coaches have to understand, and I've got two of my own kids, Kids, and it's yeah, even I have the struggle with it. You see your children with rose-colored glasses, and and as coaches, even the best ones, still have a tint in in their view of their kids. And as a coach, you have to appreciate that. Even when when I'm talking with the parents of my players at UIC, and I, I it's a different dynamic than what Doug deals with, because even though in men's college soccer, there are very few full scholarships. Very likely, the kids may be getting something. So I, do, I don't have quite that dynamic that Doug has. But 
parents, some parents are still putting down, putting down ten, twelve thousand dollars. Yeah. You know, if a kid's on a tuition and fee scholarship, you're still having to house your child, which can be thirteen to fifteen thousand dollars. So as a, the parent is still putting money down, then you've got the kids that are walk-ons or recruited walk-ons whose parents are paying full freight. And if their kid is either not playing or not making the travel roster or not playing as much as that parent thinks, they feel they have a right to have a discussion at the very least. And just like with the goalkeepers that are coming in, that discussion has to be honest and respectful. And if the discussion does not go in a positive way, then maybe this isn't the right place for that child, whether it's UIC or another institution. And that discussion sometimes yields that ending. There are other times where that discussion yields a positive outcome. And you know what? That might be the first time because of how club soccer is set up or even my poor friends that coach high school soccer, they have no leverage or they're, they're getting less and less leverage because of, of the dynamic that exists now. My conversation might be the first time that parent is told, no, you know what, I'm sorry, your child is just not good enough or is not, I don't share the same opinion as you at this moment about your child's place in the team. And, and the conversation could be tough. And if you don't have it, the relationship or the situation will only get worse. And there are times where that's the first time for a parent. And I'll have a conversation with someone like Doug who sends a player to me and we have that and we know that, that might be the situation going in. He'll do his best to tell the parent to be honest. I'll do my best. And it's a, but the communication has to be a two-way street. And sometimes it just takes a few of those conversations to get to that point. And, love, yeah, and to his point, they need to listen. Mm -hmm. The parents don't always hear what is said uh, or they, they hear what they want to hear. Uh, too often you have a kid that goes off to an ID camp, let's say, and the coach gave the kid the compliment. The kid then comes home and tells the parent, hey, uh, so-and-so liked me. They want me to go to school. And now, then the parent starts talking, yeah, we're being recruited by this. All because one school said, hey, you, you made a nice save. And in other words, they hear what they want to hear. And so when you do have those conversations with the parents, you need to make sure that they are hearing what is being said uh, from us. Uh, and so that, that's something that, mm -hmm. that they just, they need to listen and they need to listen to what's being told to them by their club coach or the college coach that they're talking to. Now, I'm glad you guys brought up the whole communication aspect between the club coach and the college coach. And I feel that that's something that is very, very important in the recruiting process. That it's, for kids out there, they should ask questions like, do you, do you know these coaches? Do you have, do you, do you know what this program is like? You know, have you sent kids to this program before? You know, this sort of, these sort of things. Because a lot of times, you know, a kid will come up to me with a list of these schools and I'll go, I don't, know, I don't know these people, but I do know these people, and I think you'd be great here. Mm -hmm. And they go, yeah, but I really want to go here. And so you've just completely closed a door that might have been a great door for you just because of the simple fact that you're not – either a parent or a kid is not willing to listen and, and, and explore and explore, especially in the, at the beginning of the process. Quick story. I have a girl that is now uh, a nurse. Years ago – she wanted to go play at this Division I school. I want to go play at this Division I school. I want to go play at this Division I school. I know what you want to go into. You should really look at this Division II school. Wouldn't listen to me, wasn't listen to me, wouldn't listen to me. To this day, every time I talk to her, 
she says thank you. Her parents say thank you. She ended up going to the Division II school and it was the best decision of her entire life. Listen to the coaches. Uh, for the most part, they're going to know what they're talking about. Uh, and you do. You have to kind of keep your mind open to whatever is available. It's the whole Division One, Division Two, II, Division Three. Division One isn't for everybody. Division Two or Division Three can still be a good school for a player. Yeah, we talked to uh, John Bush yesterday, and he was talking about opportunity. And I think that's where a lot of the young kids we talked about earlier, how some kids will go because of how it looks you know, to their friends, their parents. We always talk about the parents are always you know, showing off to their friends, oh, my son's going to this Division One school, this Division One school. And it's kind of just like you know, they're popping their ego and, and telling their friends. And I feel um, I get a lot of questions at the same time. It's like, hey, I, should I go to a D2 school that's very competitive or a low D1 school where I, I might not be the starter, but D2 were competitive and I will be the starter. And I always say go to the D2 one because, I mean, playing in college only like a few years ago, like I, I, I tell stories from about all my friends that I met, all the guys, all the experience, all the big wins we had, all the little parties we had after those big wins against like Santa Barbara and Irvine, those kind of things. And it's all about the experience. A lot of kids, you know, forget about that. It's uh, you, Of course you play soccer, but it's the friendships and the memories you make. So make them good ones and make them where you guys are winning things versus you sitting on a bench and probably, you know, in a year or two end up transferring out because it didn't work out. So make the decision early and then trust in that process that that's the right way to go. And, you know, you guys have been around for so long that you guys have, you've seen kids who have taken one path and kids who have taken the other path. And eventually you, you kind of, you know, it's the law of averages. You start telling kids, hey, I've seen this, I've seen this. And eventually, hopefully they listen. And if they don't, then they'll have to learn it the hard way. So you're saying we're old. I'm not saying you're old, but I would, if I'm, if I'm saying that. you're young, then I'm also old. <laughs> I'm old. <laughs> I, I, you know, it's, it's funny the way you were saying that about the, the friendships and the relationships and the right schools and all that stuff because it just makes me think, and I, I, I tell my kids this all the time, is that I, my, I transferred out. I transferred out. The first school I went to was not the right decision, and, and it was my ego. It was my ego because I felt that that was going to be the right school for me because of the soccer program. And I thought, oh, okay, it's all about soccer. It's all about soccer. I'll play at Real Madrid one day. Like, that's what it's all about, you know. That was obviously what was going to happen. I was going to end up going from a, you know, an NCAA institution and going to play Real Madrid. <laughs> that's that's the, you know, the path that most people take. If only if it wasn't for Casillas, man, you, know, you would have. At five foot eight, it was clearly what was going to happen. <laughs> uh, and, and I was miserable there because um, it was a commuter school. And, you know, I didn't have a lot of friends there outside of the soccer team. And when I got injured, I really fell into a depression. So I, I always tell them, I was like, find out what, what do you want to study? What do you want to do with your life? If soccer was over at the school, are you still happy there? Because that's, I'm sure you have this conversation with your kids at, at UIC all the that, time. That ends up being a lot of the, the, if you are able to say yes to that question. If you're able to say yes, I could see myself going to school here that will carry you through those moments where you're not playing. Those moments maybe where you're in a bad run of play, those moments where you pick up an injury. As much as the soccer will consume you, and, and it, when, when we talk about soccer, now you, you're talking about the academic component that you have to manage with the, with the commitment to soccer, the training room, the media, the... Um, now there's a, there are a lot more ancillary commitments that the NCAA conveniently does not count in your 20 hours, but they still mandate you to do. The only thing they count in 20 hours has to do with a soccer ball. I love the way that Omar smiled. You can just see the connection yeah. between two college coaches right <laughs> yes. here. Like, no, oh, there's, man. If, if you've got as much as that, it's there. If, this, if the magic of getting to play and compete 
with people that will become your friends, as Omar referred to, or just that ability to get out and, and, and play, if that's taken away, there is a bit of a challenge to your everyday. And you've got to be comfortable in that institution to, to carry you through that, I believe. Uh, I didn't play a whole lot as a college. I was a reserve goalkeeper. But I loved everything else about the institution. And, and so that, that made the day-to-day better and, and manageable. And there, there, is, there is truth to that statement. Um, unless you are a complete and utter soccer head, in which case it doesn't matter where you go. But at some point you're going to have a challenge in those four or five years that you're going to have to be pretty mentally strong to get through if that other piece isn't there. Yeah. Uh, one question for both of you guys, uh, mainly for Sean, but if you want to uh, tag along this as well. Um, I, get, I, get, I get a lot of DMs from young goalkeepers that like, hey, you know, is it bad that I don't play in the DA? Like, is that bad for, for recruitment? And I always tell them it's all about opportunity. I think you should – be put into a situation, I try and play at the highest level that you can where there's an opportunity, but coaches won't, I feel like coaches won't cross you off your list if you don't play a development academy. Do you guys feel like that is kind of uh, in the direction that's... As a, as just, as a, as a college, so- I'll answer it in two ways. Okay. One is just a college soccer coach who, who's looking to put together the best 28 guys for my team. I look everywhere, okay? If I go and I look at the, the three DAs that are in, in the Chicagoland area, we're also competing with all the other schools in the Chicagoland area. There aren't enough DA players. Let's let's take let's take away the 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 discussion of where the best players are. If I only looked at DA, and all the schools in Chicago only looked at DA, we wouldn't have enough players to go around yeah. to fulfill the programs. So by default, I look. I have to look in different places. Um, now, from a philosophical standpoint. Not every single kid in the DA wants to go to an urban institution. Not every single kid in the DA wants to go to a land-grant school. So you're doing your program a disservice if you just look there, And which is why almost every coach I know looks in multiple places. You know, Sean, real quickly, mm-hmm. I, and I don't want to go off on too yeah, much no. of a tangent here, but I, I do know that you do some work um, with inner-city programs. Mm-hmm. And I feel that that's an area where a lot of NCAA institutions lack uh, is, is looking for, for goalkeepers. So we're talking about not non-DA mm-hmm. goalkeepers, but goalkeepers from, let's just say, alternative environments. Mm-hmm. Um, is that something that you guys at UIC try to strive for, is to try to find kids in, in, in areas where, where you won't necessarily they, – they may have not had the resources mm-hmm. to get into the right clubs or it's just too far away and their parents can't travel them there or whatever there there are a number of different reasons why kids are or are not in the da and you just touched on one i'm going to circle back in about two seconds on that but that's that's an excellent point that's one of my one of our program's core constituencies on the on the players that we have but with the with the da so you've got all the coaches i know look everywhere now we go to goalkeepers right there's one spot on the field. All right, going back to Doug's comment earlier. All right, if you're the number two goalkeeper for the DA, is there enough opportunity for you to play to get evaluated? It's tough enough. And my, my two assistant coaches bust their tail. They look at me and go, I can't evaluate a goalkeeper in one game like you can. I go, yeah, look, I, I look for a couple of different things, but they need a few games to really feel comfortable with a kid. So 
yes, you've got to find an opportunity as a goalkeeper where you are going to play enough minutes to get evaluated if you want to continue on to college. And I'm not going to sit there and say DA is the right environment or not the right environment. That's a decision that the player has to make in consultation with their club coach because they do have to find opportunities. Now, fortunately, there's enough platforms where you could potentially do, do different platforms to get those games in. Um, because as a college coach, I'm also want, looking for someone that's not going to shy away from competition either. Yeah. You know, it's that, it's that fine line. Again, there's one spot on the field, so how do you, how do you find that? Um, but to go circle back around to your question about the not the, what I would call a non-traditional setup, I'll use Chicago as an example. We've got three DAs in the Chicagoland area. If you live in the city where I live, to get to any of those three, I am looking at an hour and a half drive each way. Jeez. All right? And I live in the city. Well, a lot of the first-generation Americans, a lot of, you know, which I'm not, I'm, I'm about as gringo as we joke about in, the, in, in my team as, as they get. <laughs> but a lot of the kids we had in our team last year, we had six kids from Chicago Public Schools. Wow. Six. Um, that's great. On, honestly, I mean, yeah. like, I, I, I don't want to, you know, you know, you know like, to boast you or anything like that, but, like, I, I wish there was more Division One institutions like that out there. there but, but I'm going to sit there and say it, but there are challenges to, I know a, a lot of people, like, the college have to do a better job of getting into the, the, the non-traditional kids. There are challenges. There are a lot of challenges that people that are having that discussion and just wagging their finger don't see that I see. And, and that's a reality, which is a whole nother, that's gonna be a whole nother segment. But my staff and I have, have made a commitment, one, because we believe in it, but also two, that's our niche. We are able to find those kids that are hidden. Yeah. And it, but if we're not finding them, are we competing? So there, I mean, there, yes, there is a, yes, this is what I believe we need to do, but it also fits the mission statement of my institution. My institution was founded to serve the first generation American that lived in Chicago. So for a number of different reasons, I'm better at that than I think a lot of schools are. Yeah. Um, but a lot of those kids also don't want to leave home. So I've got a bit of a, an advantage in that yeah. scenario too. To, to add into that and, you know, go to a state like Kentucky. Kentucky doesn't have a DA. So you're telling me there's not one good goalkeeper in the entire state of Kentucky? Iowa doesn't have a DA. Uh, you know, North Dakota, South Dakota. In other words, there are states that don't have a DA. So to say that that's the only way that you're going to have a chance or find a good goalkeeper, there are states that don't have them that kids can't play in. Now, the DAs, you know, will go out into those states and try to pluck players and bring them in because they have some residencies here and there. But there's plenty of good goalkeepers out there that aren't in the DA. And if you just take a U18, how many goalkeepers does the, the three DA teams house it at the U18 level? How many would that consist of, do you think? Six to eight. So you're telling me in the, all of the Chicagoland area? There's only eight there, good goalkeepers. There's only eight <laughs> good goalkeepers for that. So yeah. there are. There's other good goalkeepers in other places that you can find them. Now, do, do you go to any DA game and see a whole bunch of college coaches sitting on the line and all of them looking at it? Yes, you do. Is but, it because it's easy? Is that because it's easy? Well, yes, in a, in a way, in that they, they go to uh, if they go to a, a showcase event for the DA, yeah. they get – 
team after team after team after team after team lining up for them. So it is, it's easy for them to see a multitude of goalkeepers mm -hmm. because of that. And I get, so I get that. Um, it, it, you know, it's much easier than just to go out to maybe a, one high school game and see one goalkeeper once again with that hour and a half trip there and back to hopefully see a goalkeeper actually touch the ball four or five times <laughs> compared to I get on a plane and I go out to California and I go watch the USDA, uh, you know, Academy Showcase and I'm seeing, you know, 10 different opportunities at, at a goalkeeper. It just, it makes more sense. Yeah. So that that's why you know, people say that you have a better chance in there because they kind of gravitate to it, but no goalkeeper should look just because I'm not in the DA or I'm just because I'm on the girls' side, I'm not playing ECNL. You still have opportunities to, to be able to be seen. You just have to do the work on your end. The goalkeeper needs to get their name out. They need to contact the colleges. They need to make their videos and get it up on YouTube and send it out to them. I don't know. I mean, you used to get CDs all the time mm -hmm. from them, yes. and now it's kind of YouTube links <laughs> yes. is kind of where it's gone. How many do you get a, uh, let's say, within a false, during your false season during alone? Fall season. And how many of them were cut by Omar? I just want to know. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, we get we get a large number. A, a, a large number. I quit counting. There there are that many. Um, but as Doug was saying, it's it's you have to as the goalkeeper find the right environment that's going to develop you. You know, we've got of the four goalkeepers we have coming in that will be with us this year. They're all different backgrounds. You know. The one that grad that whose eligibility exhausted last year, he graduates at, in four and a half. He was a DA kid. His backup was an international. His backup um, is a kid out of cent the backup we'll have that you know one of our backups this year is out of Central Illinois. How did I find him? He sent me a video. Yeah. I watched the video. I liked it. I found out that he played in a state cup competition. One of my assistants was going to be at. I asked my assistant to watch. So there are a number of avenues and any college coach worth their weight will tell you they will work as hard as they need to work to find the right goalkeeper because it is hard. Yeah, it is very hard, but they're not going to leave a stone unturned to find that position. What about, and I know we're running long here, guys, but I, honestly, I find this conversation fascinating. I appreciate you guys taking this time because I know we're, we've been working, for those of you guys who are listening to the show right now, we've been working pretty hard out there on the fields running these sessions with all these kids here. But I want to talk about the junior college route for a second mm -hmm. um, because I think it's something that a lot of people uh, kind of negate and they, and they kind of look down upon it as that, like, I, I'm a failure if I'm playing junior college. You know, oh my gosh, you know, but for, for some kids out there, especially an urban school like mm -hmm. yourself, junior college is kind of a bread and butter for you uh, to bring in, bring in uh, recruits, right? Yeah. Well, again, go, I'll go back to my gringo comment. I grew up in Dallas, which is one big suburb. My brother went to a junior college because that was the right fit for him. We could have, my, I was fortunate. My father could have paid for him on, as a walk on at any school in the country. But he felt, my brother did, he wanted to stay close to home. He wanted to go someplace he could play right away. And the local junior college was the right fit for him. He went on to a very nice Division II career in, in, for his junior and senior year. And he's, he's, soccer's served him very well in a number of different areas. Um, when we start looking at finances, when you start looking at grades, junior college, if it's the right environment, some are done better than others. Yeah. If there, there should be an embracement, I think, better of, 
or a better embracement, excuse me, of the junior college option than there is. Some junior colleges do an outstanding job of finding kids for a number of different reasons. Maybe it is the, maybe it is the academic component, the, the kid, for whatever reason, isn't NCAA eligible academically. Maybe the family can't afford the partial scholarship that most, most schools are able to hand out. So from a financial standpoint, the family is going to take the junior college opportunity. Even, if, even on no aid, that might be the better, better opportunity. There is athletic aid out there for junior colleges. Maybe it's a perfect fit because it's close to home. Maybe the kid isn't quite ready, and there's no shame in this. Maturity standpoint. Maturity standpoint to move on. Yeah. So, again, when we start talking about what's the best fit, and you start talking about all the different things, the junior college route is okay. And with the, the NCAA standard now, if you have to have a 2.5, they're setting up, they're forcing the kid to be better prepared academically when they come into a four-year school. So it is a great opportunity if it's the right environment. But again, it's gonna be on the, on the student athlete to take advantage of it and to stick to that plan because you know what, junior colleges are gonna be missing certain things. Right? Yeah. They're, they're not gonna have a full-time strength coach most likely. Yeah. So are they- Rarely are they gonna have a goalkeeper coach. Correct, so what is, what is that student athlete willing to do to make up for that as the balance of everything else, which is why they're going for that, yeah. was the right choice for them. Doug, anything you want to add to that? Uh, no, I, I, Sean pretty much told you uh, what it is to go to, to junior college and the reasons to go for it, and, and it needs to be an option for all kids. And once again, even and we haven't even mentioned like NAIA schools, but I, there's there's something out there for everybody. Um, and once again, the kid needs to figure out for themselves what do they really want, what is going to be the best fit for me. And for a lot of kids, it is going to junior college first. Um, and they can still have a really good experience, both educationally and soccer-wise. Um, so they, they just they need to do the research. They need to be honest with themselves and really figure out what they want to do. I think that's that's a great way to wrap up right mm -hmm. there. Is just that you know for anybody listening out there, do your research, do your homework, just like you do at school, you know. And parents, just like you've done in your research and everything like that, you know, for work. Do your homework on this. Really find the right opportunities. Start making a game plan early. You know, nowadays now, because you're obviously talking about the, the differences and the rule changes mm -hmm. now, you don't have to worry about trying to commit to a school and all of that so early on. So it really allows you time to explore and really, you know, make a list together. Like, you know, probably you want to make a list of 10 schools in your freshman year and say, hey, you know, these are 10 schools that seem like these are things I'd like enjoy, you know, yeah. from, a, from a standpoint of academically, like these are kind of cool ideas. Maybe this is what I want to do with my life. You know, maybe this is my, be what I want to do with my life. You know, and then keep narrowing it down as you go older. Um, you know, my thing, and this could be a whole episode, is, you know, I want to make sure that a lot of these college ID camps are in it for the right reasons mm -hmm. and that they're, they're, it's, not, it's actually really about identification and not just about a numbers game. And, you know, that's a conversation we can have a whole other time, you know. Um, so just make sure that you're re when you're researching those sort of things, you know, find out why you're going to a camp, what the reason is, specific reasons. Make sure that they're providing what you're looking for right there. If you're not of the level of UCLA, don't go to the UCLA ID camp. Yeah. <laughs> just plain and simple. Just don't. Don't do something like that. that you know, go to the small D2 or D3s, you know, camp, you know, because they're really going to look at you. 
because you really have a chance to potentially play there, you know? Yeah. So um, I know we've been going long, but this is something obviously that's very, very important to most of the people that are listening out there. So I just appreciate you guys taking the time. Um, Doug, so one, one last oh, yes, thing, course, I think uh, one thing that you guys said that's really, really good for coaches listening um, is just be real. I think uh, from your side of things is be real with the goalkeepers that are coming in and say, hey, this is what the, this is what it's going to look like. This is what the situation is. So there's no surprises. And for you as well, it just kind of allows you to let them fight it out and you kind of take a step back and let's see who has the, the not the resolve, but the, 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 the guy who has the attitude to be the number one and mm -hmm. to kind of command that position. And then from you as well is having that real conversation with the parents and the uh, players to be realist. And I think uh, that's one thing that I, hearing that, it resonated with me. It's like really saying, you know, I say to the backup goalkeeper at the, the schools that I work at or even get, get young kids that I train, their parents are asking me, do you think they're ready for this? I've kind of shot away and said, you know what, a few trainings here, a few trainings there, maybe they get better. But I probably should have said, you know what? It's not. I, it's not. It's not there. It's mm -hmm. not there. There is gonna need some time, but it's just not the level that it needs to be. And it's those tough conversations that really make the uh, the kid, you know, either get hungry for it or they, they take a step back and say, this is not for me. So I think that was really important for any coaches that are listening. It's those tough conversations. Find the right angle. Uh, find a way to say it. But as long as you convey the message, yeah. Hopefully they and, and and for those coaches listening out there, you know, and this is something you learn, you know, the longer you're involved in the youth game is uh, be prepared for that that kid to go somewhere else. And, and, and sometimes that happens. Sometimes they don't want to hear that. And they decide, that, you know, that maybe this isn't the best environment for them. And as much as you might care for this this goalkeeper and, and really feel like you're doing something for them, ultimately it's their decision on where they want to train. You know, so don't get territorial about your goalkeepers. You know, because ultimately all you can do is provide the tools that you feel are the right ones for them. And if you're honest with them, you know, maybe in a couple of years they'll go, "Hey, coach, you know, I probably should have stayed with you. I felt like, you know, that you weren't really on my side because of what you said right there. But in all honesty, that's that was where I should have ended up going. You know." Yeah. Um, all righty. Uh, I think we're going to wrap up this episode right now because I think we're all <laughs> wiped from this com this very deep and thought-provoking conversation. Uh, Dougie, uh, if there's any coaches out there or any kids that are looking for advice in this whole process and stuff like that, you know, where's the best place for them to reach out to you? Um, right now, because of what I'm changing, uh, if they wanted to reach out to me, uh, email address, okay. uh, Doug, period, uh, pausegkacademy at gmail.com. Uh, more than happy to listen to any questions that they have and help them. Uh, but right now, that's I'm, I'm in the middle of a of a change and transition right now, so that'll be probably the best place to get a hold of me. Hey, that, that, there's nothing wrong with email. That's that's yep. an easy thing. <laughs> I, I would I would now I won't give away your contact info because I don't know what the NCAA rules are. <laughs> now I'm scared, terrified. It's like yes. like so, so Sean, where can we contact you? He's like that's a recruiting violation. That is a recruiting violation. I cannot <laughs> say anything right now. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I don't know what is what is acceptable from from the from an NCAA standpoint. If, if coaches out there, you know, are looking for advice or anything oh, like that. I, I have no restrictions on coaches. OK, so great, I can great. I can I can interact all I want with the coaches. And if one of your listeners is a student athlete and they reach out, I've got my catch all due to NCAA bylaw dot 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 dot. OK, I'm unable to speak with you. <laughs> gotcha. But gotcha. here are the rules. Okay. So if any coaches out there are looking for advice. Um, my email address is best. It's S-E-P-H-I-L-L at U-I-C dot E-D-U. Cool. Awesome, guys. Uh, all right. That's all the time we got on Inside the 18 today. Remember, contact at InsideThe18Media.com. If you're looking for us to answer any questions from you guys or if you have any ideas for potential guests or potential topics, uh, we're out. Later. Let's Same. get back to the field.